On this episode, Kirk dies, Guinan lies, we cram in too many enterprises, and a bunch of old men practice a little bit of the old ultraviolence. I'm Captain Awesome. I'm the Dribble Hippie. Take your station, grab onto something. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Hey everybody, welcome back. Part two of Star Trek Generations. Last time we left off after Kirk had introduced us to the newest enterprise of his timeline. Unfortunately, he was let go early when he took a ride on a ribbon. And then we headed on over to our good buddies in Picard's timeline where the Enterprise D was involved in some hazing hijinks. So let's get back and see what happens next. So let's see. So we're in, so we found out that somebody attacked the Armagosa space station, and and when they did, Picard wants something done about it. So he tells Riker that he needs to do some investigation to figure it out, and Riker puts up an excuse of some sort and like, oh, but what about what about this? And <laughs> Picard is just like, just do it, I'll do it. Which I couldn't help but think of the look. You pointed out you, Riker's face on this is is excellent reaction, and all I can help but think of is like you know, dude, Edward Jellico talked to me that way once, yeah. <laughs> once, once. <laughs> dude, seriously, Frakes is great about that though. He he has the ability to turn on that I just got slapped emotionally look. <laughs> it's so good. I don't even want to know about that me man's dating life. <laughs> <laughs> So they beam over to the Omagosa. <laughs> Everybody's God. in uniforms. Yeah, it's like, thank goodness we had time to change our clothes on this one. But see, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> why can't the, excuse me, why can't the transporter do that for you? I've never understood this. Why it is that if I'm going to transport down to a cold planet, put me in a jacket. Because obviously the transporter can handle my clothes because when I transport, my clothes go with me. So why can't it go, hmm. Let's use this jacket model. We'll put that on you. Or, hey, you know what? I just realized there's no air on this planet. I'm going to put you in a spacesuit. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I have to go to the costume department before I come down here. Ugh, bugs me every time. It's it's saving people's jobs. If you do that, Taylor's no longer have work. Uh, oh, there you go. It's a union thing. Um, the other weird thing is, is when you see this group of people on there, uh, on all the uh, non-senior bridge officers are wearing DS9 uniforms. Um, I, I didn't find a lot of information as to why <laughs> they were doing this, but it was intentional. <laughs> uh, well, Also, I, I don't understand why they were the only ones who had yellow lights. Uh, like they had like big, <laughs> like, they looked like they were carrying around a pool light. <laughs> <laughs> it was really bizarre. So there were supposed to be a brand new line of uniforms uh, that were a little more similar to the Deep Space Nine, but had a, uh, a braid, a rank braid on the one wrist and uh, was slightly different. But when they finished the design, uh, Rick Berman said no. That's, and uh, that's probably because it sounds ugly. <laughs> so they just went back and fell back upon the uh, the Deep Space Nine uniforms. Um, and they actually had to borrow some Deep Space Nine uniforms as uh, Jonathan Frakes is wearing uh, Avery Brooks' Deep Space Nine uniform and uh, LeVar Burton is wearing Cole Meany's Deep Space Nine uniform. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, Data and Picard are the only ones who got their own uniforms. Like they actually got custom designed uniforms for them for the DS9 <laughs> style. So reportedly there is a one run line of toys that was done for this movie that actually do have the uh, uniform that was never used. Yeah. It's from the, uh, not playset. Uh, ah, I forget the, it's the same company that made the teenage mutant Ninja Turtles designs. Uh, oh man, I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, it's yeah, I'm gonna, really good I was, I was interested in, and, uh, but I, I haven't looked up yet to see if I can find an actual, picture of the uniforms themselves i'll see what i can find so um <laughs> so data and Jordy are for some reason in i think data's quarters i mean it's kind of hard to tell the lights are all off um and so it appears that Jordy has decided to show up to data's quarters and start tearing apart 
old color Game Boys <laughs> for some ungodly reason. We refurbish them and sell them on eBay. Right? <laughs> and they're talking about feelings. And it just... It's yeah. so forced. It's so weird and just doesn't make any sense to the movie. There's no point in this being there. But for someone who's watched a lot of TNG, this is straight up out of an episode of TNG. Data and Jordy <laughs> hanging out in Data's quarters talking about his feelings. Ugh. And talking about the reason that the fact they didn't get a joke. Now, thank goodness we didn't resort to making a holodeck Joe Piscopo this time. Oh um, my but God. still, yeah, this, why, why won't this, why, why won't this that Joe Piscopo episode is so bad. I guarantee you it's an odd numbered episode. It has to be. <laughs> it's one of the few episodes I've only seen twice. Oh, so <laughs> terrible. So, so I mean, the, the, but their solution this time is let's not get a holler crap. <laughs> well, Freudian <Dr>. slip. <laughs> let's not get a holodeck Joe Piscopo this time. Let me take the untested thing that drove my brother nuts. And I pulled out of his head. Let's put that in my head. Cause and, that makes sense. Cause then I'll get jokes. Well, I mean, he's got no other options, right? Like, <laughs> there, there's no other way to do it. I mean, if, if modern AI has told us anything, it's that AI can't take a joke. <laughs> I, so, just, I just want to warn him. I'm really, really sorry, but no matter how many of these chips you install, the Three Stooges are not going to be any funnier. You're wrong. <laughs> Whew, I'm just, there's a discussion to have. Oh, you're just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's a different kind of funny. It's not funny. Ha ha. I don't know. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I think that that chip is only going to allow him to enjoy carrot top. <laughs> Have you seen this guy? He had a doll on a drill. It was weird. So they, they rip off data's toupee so that they can install the chip. <laughs> Which tells you the data is really going to understand comedy after this. If he's got a a toupee that fabulous. Mm -hmm. We we call it the Shatner. (laughs) Shh, he doesn't wear one. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I somebody told somebody lied to me about that a long time ago, and I just have never let it go. Was it the wind? Because I'm pretty sure the wind found that. (laughs) So we go over to Picard's ready room, and he's the only one still in costume. So he's just completely mailing it in. In fact, that that could they should have just kept with that to be the entire storyline. Picard <laughs> mails it in. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing anything today. I'm very sad. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we're we're in the movies. Um, so there's it's got to be moody. It's got to be <laughs> dark. I, I don't get it. I don't understand why it's so incredibly dark. It doesn't make any sense because it's not like, okay, the ready room scene makes you understand it because in the ready room scene, the room is dark except for the emergency lighting at the top of the room, the fish tank, and some random gigantic bright light outside his window. That's Armagosa Star, isn't it? I'm sure. I don't know. They don't show it. It's just light coming out of the window. So I assume it's it's a star of some sort. <laughs> so yeah, this was actually the the lighting on this because that is the first thing you notice, just how dark this is lit. And that was actually done on purpose by the director and the cinematographer, uh, John Alonzo. Um, they did all the lighting, what they call within the set itself, as opposed to using exterior light source and things outside the set. And Basically, this allowed them to do many more takes without having to reset uh, lighting setups. Um, so it added a lot of speed to the process. And uh, um, John Alonzo, the cinematographer, thought it added a little more depth and more, a little more uh, cinematic setting to the actual shots themselves. And I mean, he was, for him to work on this film, this is a guy who actually was nominated for Best Cinematographer for both Oscar and a BAFTA for his work on Chinatown, among other things. So um, this was a guy who actually knows how to move a camera around. Um, Chinatown. That's a huge, huge feather in the cap for Paramount. That's. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I don't know. It, I understand the concept of, of wanting to be able to relight the scenes quickly and things like that. But I mean, they could turn the lights up a little bit. <laughs> I, I don't understand why it has to be so hard to see. Cause I, I mean, here's the thing I, I think about when I watch this though, is that I'm watching it on a modern television. I'm watching a digital copy that's been remastered. I'm, Thinking back to 1994, how did we even see what was going on? Because <laughs> like, it was so dark. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've seen some of like the the remasters of um, of the old series movies, uh, the original series movies, side by side with their 4K remasters, and it's like, hey, I didn't even know there was a planet in the background. <laughs> I couldn't see it, and now you can see it in this shot. So the same kind of thing here. Like, I can you imagine what this is going to look like when they finally turn the lights up? <laughs> I don't know. So let's head on over to Ten Forward. Weird. So Data with his brand new chip. Well, he's going to need a drink. Yeah, this again. It's Data. So Data tries a drink and sees what kind of emotional reaction he gets from the drink, and he isn't quite sure. And so Guinan has to tell him that he doesn't like it, which immediately makes me think somebody out there in the universe is saying, I don't need that lady from the view telling me what I don't like. But um, I, this scene really bugs me because he's talked about before that he can't taste things. I don't see taste buds being an emotional reaction. Like when I taste something like it's, it's in my nose. (laughs) It's not in my heart. It's not in my head. It's in my nose. Yeah, um, I, I was with you on this one. Yeah, I wasn't sure if uh, being finicky is a is an emotional response, right? Well, but he's not even being finicky, right? Like he could not taste things before. He's talked about it. Oh, really? Oh, you know what? I did not realize that. Yeah, like uh, ugh. anyway. So he does have a sensor. Uh, he has talked about that. I, I believe it was the episode where he got a girlfriend. Uh, he talked about, um, she was like, well, what does this taste like to you? And he's like, well, it's got this chemical compound and this chemical compound and this one. She's like, no, what's it taste like? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> so, and, and what's the basis of what he likes and what he doesn't like? What did Dr. Soong use as the basis of, well, he's going to hate drinks from Frocas three, but he's going to love blue Hawaiians. Well, and does he hate that drink or does Lore hate that drink? Oh, uh-huh. uh-huh. well, now we're starting to get in conspiracy land. <laughs> no, no, not conspiracy land. Just it was Laura's preferences on the chip. Ah, uh, okay. Anyway, so that's a rat hole for another time. Yeah, that is. Uh, so when we do the episode brothers, we'll have to go down that rabbit hole big time. Oh man. I got so much to say about that. <laughs> um, so uh, Picard's milling around and he sees Dr. Soren. <laughs> and he uh, puts in a drink order with a blue guy. Cause bullions basically do just about all the actual work on this ship. I'm fairly certain that if you go and find the janitorial staff, you'll find nothing but bullions. Like, what did these people do that they are the, the Federation's lowest class of workers? They don't Come on. like to go to school. They won't go through the Academy. They just won't. They, they love being on ships, but they just won't go through the Academy. Well, if the barber's any indication, maybe it's that they just won't shut up. <laughs> is that is that a qualification for uh, for Starfleet Academy? Not shutting up or being a bully? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, so, I, I love the scene only because when he meets Doctor Soren, Doctor Soren does the immediate re- anybody who's worked retail hears this one. Hey, I need this. That's great, but I can't give these to to that. I can't give that to you right now. Yeah, but I really need it. Yeah, but I can't get that to you right now. I don't think you understand how much I need this. It, it, I you know have what? flashbacks. I, I totally get where you're coming from. You're right. I, I can't do this. But what if I really wanted to? Um. So... His explanation is that time is the fire in which we burn. <laughs> <laughs> and again, he just turns on the creep. Boom. 
creepy. Well, okay. So he delivers it in Malcolm Mc, in Mal, blah, blah, Malcolm McDowell style, right? And it's really a good delivery. I I, I oh, like it. Yeah. Um, he really liked it too. So much so that right after that, he pulls out a pocket watch to check the time. He actually went and got that saying engraved on that pocket watch <laughs> because he liked that saying so much. And that's why he goes and checks it over and over throughout the movie because he thought it was real cool. That is such a cool line. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you said you found uh, you found quotes that or fan accounts that he actually says it when he's uh, signing autographs. Oh yeah, I read a couple of people who, who uh, mentioned that uh, when he uh, when he's signing autographs. Uh, uh, couple of pe- different people said they give him a, a picture and uh, he would look at it and smile and then, and, quit, and then quip, you know, well, time is a fire in which we burn and then sign it. <laughs> which is code for this picture makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> I can hardly wait to get the residual check from this month. <laughs> right. And then he starts walking out. And he sees Guinan, but Guinan doesn't see him. It kind of looks like she smells him, but she doesn't see him. Which makes sense, because if Doctor Who has taught us anything, it's that a guy like that's going to smell kind of wibbly, wobbly, and timey-wimey. <laughs> you know, it's just going to, you're going to be able to sense him. <laughs> what you can't see is that she's actually got her sonic screwdriver out. Um, uh, it would explain a lot. Now, these two know each other from the previous ship, but she doesn't or from the previous experience on, on ships in uh, uh, 78 years later or earlier. And we, we assume they probably met at, at the Ellory and loss encounter groups that, you know, would have run over. The right. Exactly. Years. I don't know. They, it, it felt very much like the way Guinan always feels like, it's just like, I, I I'm not part of the situation in any way whatsoever. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I totally know that guy. And it's like, okay, that's just the, that's what we're doing with Guinan. Okay, cool. A lot of times when I see Guinan on Star Trek and, and I like Whoopi Goldberg, I have nothing against her, but when I see her on Star Trek, I kind of feel like all of the producers are sitting by the set, just giddy going, Whoopi Goldberg, right? We got Whoopi Goldberg. Well, and she's also, she's a writer's tool, right? Um, I mean, let's, she got introduced as a major character with Q. Yes. Q is a writer's tool. That's how they flush the toilet of their bad ideas. <laughs> and Guinan kind of goes along with that. So there you go. All right. So we head on over to engineering. And now we start and, uh, to find out that Romulan, well, let's see, we found out Romulans are evolved. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to steal trilithium. And I'm trying to wonder, is this the first... Is this the first mention of trilithium that we have? No, it's not actually. Okay. Um, it, it turns out they've actually mentioned it before uh, as a byproduct of, of warp engines or something. Um, they just casually mentioned it on the show a, a couple times, actually. And it was in, um, it was in that episode Starship Mine, I believe. Might have been actually. I believe that's what the uh, what the bad guys were trying to get from them. I could be wrong on that, but I believe that's what they were trying to get from them. But yeah, and it was just such a casual mention, right? And so now they're like, oh my God, what is trilithium? This yeah. is some scary stuff. Yeah, it seemed odd because it seemed like the first time I watched it, I was like, well, I know what it is. Why don't you guys know? <laughs> well, our cars right now are running, well, our electric cars are running off of, you know, lithium batteries. So the Enterprise runs off of dilithium. So I can only imagine that the next molecule that gets added is going to fuel the next generation of vehicles of some sort. But I mean, it's going to be a while. It's got to be a couple hundred years at least, but they've only heard about trilithium at this point. Gotcha. Okay. I don't know. It's, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but you just wait. Quad lithium is going to be amazing. <laughs> well, All that's right. what I'm waiting for. I'm, I'm waiting for the Apple lithium four. That's, that's. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's the list, the lithium IV. <laughs> But when he asks him, it's like trilithium. How is that? It's like, well, it's like dilithium, but it's got a slightly larger screen and a better camera. I don't ever try anything. I just <laughs> do lithium. <laughs> <laughs> so Data and Jordy are on Amagosa. 
And it's great because the writers have now found a way to make data even more annoying. Congratulations, guys. That was, I mean, that was a high bar. <laughs> you cleared it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, if there's one thing the data character always needed, it was, you know, cheesy cackling laughter at all times. <laughs> and then he, he pokes his finger into Jordy's chest. And when he does, all I can think is I wish he'd been there with Worf so that Worf would have just snapped that finger off and shoved it in an orifice and been like, don't ever touch me again. So in, in all those memory banks that Data has and all of that stored knowledge and everything, no decent jokes, huh? Yeah, right? It's all like <laughs> joke books from the 20th century. Kids joke books, no less. It's like I, I programmed the chip using the brave way, the humor brainwave patterns of soupy sales, you know, knock yourself out. it's just so icky i almost Um, expected to do a rip taylor confetti toss half the time (laughs) (laughs) okay so at the point that he he stands there and starts talking with the tricorder and dubs it mr tricorder (laughs) first off i would absolutely do that if i was in if i was on this show or in that even if i was in real life in star trek um (laughs) I, but I mean, you know that they did that on the on the bridge or on oh, yeah. the, the the set, right? You know they were doing that, and the writers were like, "Hey, that's pretty funny. Let's let's do that." The real question is, who did it first? Which one of these actors was like, "Hey, hey, check this out"? I I, I have a feeling it might have been uh, uh, Frakes. It does kind of feel Frakesian. Frakesish. Freakish, I like that. <laughs> and then after the Huber, Huber way, way, uh, finally weighs out, uh, yeah, to, uh, Data goes on a bad acid trip. If you've ever it seen the, feels uh, like it. yeah, if you've ever seen the uh, documentary about, about uh, Woodstock, it, it's it's basically the brown acid moment with Data. It's you're not dying; <laughs> you just have taken something really, really bad. It's going to take you a while to come down. Is that why Jordy gives him all that orange juice? <laughs> You're going to no, get through this, man. You're going to get through this. <laughs> when Data leans back and grins really wide, they do the the effect on his face that they did in the Black Hole Sun video from Soundgarden. Oh, yes. Back in the 90s. And I mean, that video gave me nightmares, right? And <laughs> watching this on Data's face, I was like, oh, how did I miss that the first time? It was so bad. <laughs> Uh, it's such a disturbing effect. I hate that so much. The big eyes and the giant smile. <laughs> they, in fact, they did that same smile thing to Doctor Flocks on Enterprise. Oh, Anytime that's he right. did a really big smile. They'd like curl it up almost almost to his eyes. Oh, no, thank you. Shout out to John Billingsley, Seahawks fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, and the Doctor Soren just shows up. Okay, so they're over investigating all this stuff. Dr. Soren tells Picard, I need to get back over there. That's the last we hear of it. They're over there. And then all of a sudden, oh, hey, Dr. Soren, how's it going? Yeah, this is definitely one of those moments where either the writers couldn't really figure out what to do here, or it's a classic case of the Enterprise doesn't have passwords, which, I mean, (laughs) we know is true. The Enterprise doesn't have passwords on any system. Yeah, it seemed like just one simple scene of uh, Malcolm McDowell, like, uh, hot wiring a transporter and then beaming over would have been, would have explained something. Right. Maybe he was holding on to, to Jordy's back. And when they transported in just like uh, <laughs> the, the oceanographer from uh, <laughs> Star Trek four. Um, so <laughs> he shows up and he points a gun at the boys. Uh, the gun that he has is Faju's disruptor from the most toys. Thank you uh, Faju so was... much. I knew I recognized that thing. And I could not oh. figure it out. It, it took me a minute. I was staring at it and staring at it. And then I, when he, when the motor turns on and the little aiming reticule moves down, I'm like, I've seen somebody do that by hand before. And I thought about <laughs> it. I'm like, it was Saul Rubinek. Of course it was Saul Rubinek, <laughs> which that episode is great. Um, I, I will be honest. There's a lot of data stuff that just kind of turns my stomach. Cause it's just the, some of the storylines are just kind of annoying, but Data's or Spiner's performance on the most toys is fantastic. I'd agree. I agree. That is one of my favorite episodes. Well-written and just uh, well-executed. Yep. So 
Um, Data is not interested in trying to help because he's scared. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. Okay, so Data gets emotions and all of a sudden he just forgets that he's like 10 times stronger than other people. Right. Also Uh, made of metal. Yeah, it, it just is like, okay, so you now you have an emotion, so now you're stupid. So we are going to cut back over to Picard's quarters, where Picard and Troy are having a little talk. Picard is sadly looking through his picture, or his photo album, and you can tell that they're all futuristic pictures because they're all trimmed in hologram material for some reason. <laughs> and also, why does he have a paper photo album? Aren't they in the future? <laughs> I love that Troy comes in and stands there to report that they still haven't found any spare light bulbs in the entire ship. (laughs) I do like that when he tries to blow her off, it's just like, oh, that's fine. And she just stands there looking at him. (laughs) That that was a really great, that was a yes and scene kind of thing of like, uh, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, I've been working with you for at least seven years, dude. I'm not going to just walk away. (laughs) I am going to say this. I am of the opinion Deanna Troy looked way better in her blue full uniform than she did in the dresses I, they put her in in the previous seasons. I I was so sad that they finally put her in uniform in like the last half of the last season. It was like, she mm-hmm. looks so good in that uniform. Why did you decide? Oh, and Marina you know? Sirtis, she, she said several times that um, she was super excited when they finally gave her an outfit or gave her a uniform because they just kept trying to like vamp it up with all of her outfits (laughs) and apparently the hair was really painful the hair was like like the all the different hairstyles they would put her in a lot of it was really painful it would take hours and hours longer than everybody else to get ready and Uh all this stuff and it's it's i i don't know why they continue to do this crap to actresses she (laughs) did such a great job as an actress or as an actor in the the performance that she was uh doing the entire series run it was completely unnecessary to cheesecake it up like that. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that was Jane Roddenberry, his, mm-hmm. his love of, love of cheesecake. Let's just put it that way. He's like, Hey, I want to put a woman on the bridge. And they're like, okay. And he's like, Oh, you want me to put her in sexy clothes? Fine. They're like, we didn't say that. <laughs> okay, fine guys. If you're going to keep on fighting me on this, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. When we do encounter a far point, I'll be interested. Uh, uh, we, uh, we have some, uh, we, we owe, uh, jam dillard some some thanks for her input on that particular character and uh, keeping right. keeping roddenberry from doing what he wanted to anyway. <laughs> so no. they start talking about what actually happened and it's picard's nephew and brother were killed in a fire um which is really really sad and and i appreciate just from a writing standpoint that this is a science fiction movie, but we didn't have them die in a space accident or get eaten by a space worm or, you know, get jettisoned out an airlock or something like that. It was something real and human. It was a fire um, at a home. And it's, I thought it did a lot to actually make it much more relatable. Oh yeah. I mean, he said it himself. These things happen. Yes. And it's, you know, that it's a terrible, terrible tragedy, but it's also like, you know, it's kind of nice that it wasn't, you know, these crazy circumstances. Well, they were killed in a space fire at a space venue. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, now, interestingly, interesting thing about this is that um, Patrick Stewart himself was doing such a really good job of bringing the emotion to this character for, for this particular scene and, and all the scenes where he had found out about uh, his brother and his nephew. And the reason that he was doing such a good job about that is that while he was on set, anytime he wasn't in character, he was sitting there reading a script for another role he was doing. It's a a film called Jeremy uh, or Jeffrey. Jeremy? Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Uh, Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Yeah. Um, and it is apparently a very sad script, uh, so much so that he would sit there in his chair reading it and just start crying. Um, and it was he was using that to help drive the character. And it's one of the reasons that his performance is just so good in this, which um, and the, the grief. I'm really glad you brought that up because I had heard the story, but I'd never heard exactly what the script was for. So I had always assumed he had been reading the original script from Star Trek five and just caused him <laughs> to weep uncontrollably because has that effect I, on a lot of people. 
I'm pretty sure you mean three. <laughs> wait, no. Was it the motion picture? Oh, wait, no. Wait. <laughs> um, okay, so... <laughs> um, honestly, great scene. I absolutely loved this scene. The two... The, okay, so I often was not a fan of the Deanna Troy... Uh, acting as counselor and walking people through their grief or walking people through whatever they were dealing with. I wasn't a big fan. I felt like it really slowed down the show. I liked the fact that her character existed, but I didn't really want to, you know, watch the hamburger get made kind of thing. (laughs) Um, But this one, this is, it's touching. It's, it's characters you really identify with, you know, them, you love them watching them go through this. And, their performances are just so honest. I, I really enjoyed this one. Yes, I I, I think as far as a uh, Deanna Troy, Cap, Deanna Troy, uh, Captain Picard scene, this is probably the best one they ever ever produced. It actually seemed real, and uh, it was really well acted. Yep. So then the star goes boom. Star go boom, and um, we're not sure why, <laughs> but we do know that Data and Jordy are not back on the ship. I'd love that they get a call from somewhere in the bowels of the enterprise. Hey guys, um, data and Jordy aren't here. <laughs> Riker looks at Worf and says, are they back? Or it's like, did, did you hear that guy? He just said they're not here. <laughs> I just, <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. Anytime anybody repeats a line like that, it just makes me laugh. I'm, my wife and daughter, they do that stuff all the time. And I still, I say this same kind of stuff. I, I start laughing at them because it's funny when people repeat for no reason. <laughs> I just figure it's a standing thing of uh, anytime they yell a red alert, like uh, somebody has to tell you everybody who's not on the ship at the moment. You know? <laughs> um, so we, we flash over to Amagosa and we hear a voice. It's Lursa's voice. Lursa's voice. Dun, dun, dun. So th- there's still, there is a gunfight going on. Yes. We have four minutes to get out of here. You got Worf and Riker shooting at him and Soren shooting back. I just don't understand why they hung around. Like, why didn't they just leave? Why didn't they Beam Data and Jordy out of there and leave. Oh, okay, because they couldn't beam Data and Jordy out because the room that they went into to look at that missile was uh, magnet, magnet, magnetically sealed. And okay. that's why Jordy was trying to call the Enterprise and he wasn't able to reach the Enterprise. Right, right. But then they got in because they could see Data and Jordy. Oh, yes. So it, they got in the room. Why didn't they just take them out and leave? I think they had to take it because Soren was shooting at him. All right. All right. I don't know. The whole thing just felt like uh, they could have left at any time. It was like a Roger rabbit pulling his hand out of the handcuffs. Like he could have done it at any time, but only when it was funny. <laughs> yeah. This, this is the part I don't start as far as uh, data's whole thing. I understand he's scared, but the position that he's in, it seems if you're scared, you would be running the other way towards Riker mm-hmm. and Worf not just sitting there. Uh, Jordy's unconscious next to Soren, which is why he gets beamed out. But I do not understand. Again, the whole data thing on this is just very, very bizarre. Yeah. So a bird of prey is out there and it, it, as you said, beamed away Soren and Jordy. Um, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then the ship takes off in an exterior shot. We recognize from Star Trek three. Yeah, there's not actually any Klingon vessels in this in this movie. Everything's from Star Trek Three. So the explosion's going off. Everybody's in in grave danger. So the Enterprise got to get the heck out of Dodge, and it pulls a Yui and gets going. Now, first of all, this is probably the most kick-ass shot you'll ever see of the Enterprise D doing anything. Um, but I'm just kind of wondering. Why the U-turn? You knew the ship blew up. You knew the sun blew up four minutes ago. You didn't turn the ship around and get it ready to leave. I, I can I just say there is one thing that always bothered me about Star Trek. Why do the ships have to go forward? <laughs> if I was building a spaceship that was going to spend all its time in space, it could go in any direction. Those yeah. engines would not be forward or backwards. I'm just saying. <laughs> 
Yeah, it does seem like you could you could mount impulse uh, outputs uh, pretty much anywhere on a ship. Yeah, right. Um, so the helmsman hits engage, uh, and it looks like they're slapping paddles for some reason. <laughs> I, I think they put their camera over the shoulder of somebody who had not practiced pushing buttons. Um, Famed bongo was, artist, <laughs> right? So then we the Enterprise is getting away now, so we head on over to the Klingon bridge, see what's going on over there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I am glad that they uh, that they brought in a next generation villain for this. I I thought that was a good move. It kept us we didn't have to introduce uh every new villain. We you know, we actually have somebody that uh we don't want to die the two villain death many movies do. So yeah. by having Soren as your new villain, you bring in that uh, a villain we're accustomed to. I, I thought that was actually a nice trick. That was a nice Which thing. is of course the Duras sisters. Yes. Who, um, they're amazing. Um, like I said before, I love the Duras arc. I love the Duras family. The Duras sisters, however, are always the ones that all of their plans end in a sad trombone. <laughs> because <it's just> <laughs> <laughs> um, so Lursa Duras, uh, was played by Barbara March. Unfortunately, this was her last film. Yes. Uh, she did. She passed in 2019. So, I mean, she was around for quite a while after the movie, but this is the last uh, motion picture she was in. Other than that, she did some voiceover work and that was about it. Um, the other thing I noticed as soon as the scene started up, is that <laughs> this is Captain Claw's ship <laughs> because there is a friggin' periscope in the ceiling. And aside from Captain Claw's ship that has never been used before. <laughs> Either that or Claw finally got out of the translator core that the translation core you had been busted down to and actually got into ship design and said, okay, here's what I see, everybody. Every ship has a periscope. Every ship. And that lasted for 78 years. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, just hang out in really, really old ships. Right. So we're going to go back over to sick bay and we're going to experience a phenomenon I really don't understand. So 78 years ago, for some reason, Chekhov is the doctor and he's in security. Now we go 78 years in the future and the doctor is going to give us a security briefing. <laughs> She's going to tell us all about the fact that Guinan and Sora know each other. I don't know why she wasn't like medically checking any of them out. She was just like, Hey, did you know these guys know each other? And you know, they've got a history. Which is odd because when we brought them aboard the first, you know, originally we didn't look into their past whatsoever. Like we do every week on next generation that we immediately have a briefing about who's that guy we just brought aboard. Listen, the movie budget's a little tight. We don't have time for security. Okay. <laughs> we don't even have time for uniforms. Right. Speaking of uniforms, Riker has changed into his DS9 uniform. It is Avery Brooks's, and he's got the sleeves rolled up because he's taller than Avery Brooks. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that was very comfortable for him. I mean, oh. that's, there's a height difference there. Oh, my God. I mean, at least he didn't have to worry too much about his feet being on camera, so he didn't have to you know, like keep those pulled down or anything. Uh, so then we head on over to Guinan's quarters, which honestly, I'm pretty sure these are the quarters from Rhoda Morgenstern on the Mary Tyler Moore show. I, I, <laughs> I'm waiting for the tie dye wall hanging the Hendrix poster and the uh, the beaded curtain on this. Uh, Seriously, it did kind of feel like if you opened any cabinet, there was going to be goop merchandise in there. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> and then she gives them the whole the whole spiel about it's just wonderful. It's just a wonderful place and you're never going to want to come back if you go there. Yeah. So, I mean, she's been in the rift. She talks about it very openly. She says, you know, that's amazing. That's why he wants to go back. And Picard's like, okay, cool. And she's like, if you go, you're not going to care about anything. You won't want to leave. And the look he gives her was like, wait, go. I, what are you talking about? I, <laughs> I was just going to go make a report and try to figure out what her next steps are here. You think I should go inside that thing? It reminds me of that scene in uh, Reservoir Dogs when he's like, torture. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good idea. Now, there was a uh, uh, proposed um, 
set of dialogue in this scene that never never came to fruition but what it was supposed to do is establish that whatever happened to Guinan in the nexus is what developed her ability to kind of see through time it wasn't her ability as an Elorian. it was something that happened to her in nexus that changed her and she was able to uh see and perceive time in a different way than uh, than other people were but they kind I don't of know if I like that storyline. I kind of like the the storyline of her of it being a racial trait that she's just like you know we are all like that um, because I think it, it leads to she's not really any different than her family line and some of the tragedy that she experienced familially. I think it, it stays with her. Whereas if it's she's completely changed because she went through this rift. I think the impact of her family being gone and the Borg attacks and all that stuff, I think it all changes quite a bit. That's really good. That's just my yeah. personal feelings. I think there's, I think it's a, it makes her a better character if it's not changed her. Yeah, I can see your point. Um, all right. So then Soren and Jordy are talking. And uh, <laughs> as you said, uh, McDowell has turned into a creep. Okay. By talking, <laughs> let's be more specific. Jordy is tied to a bed with no shirt on and he's clearly being tortured. And Soren comes walking in through the door from another place on the Klingon ship. And he's got Jordy's visor in his hand. So the door opens, he walks in and he says, marvelous technology. This is a, re- a remarkable piece of, of uh, equipment. <laughs> as he's walking up to the blind guy tied to the table I, Jordy should have been like I don't know what you're talking about What what's great <laughs> I just uh, it, it, I, it's it, one of those moments where it's like okay Malcolm McDowell forgot this guy was supposed to be blind <laughs> and on top of it he goes on for two and a half minutes about I'm a listener dude you don't shut up <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and, and yeah. It <laughs> so he, he asks uh, um, Jordy what he knows. He's, you're going to tell me what you know or else. And all I can think is Jordy should. And then he says about trilithium. Jordy should have just been like, oh, trilithium. Yeah, I, I know what that is. <laughs> I, I just found out about that stuff. Um, I don't have any. There you go. We're done. It's like, that's it. a really good Wikipedia page on it. Right? Like that's, that's the whole ball of wax guys. We're good. All I can say is I'm very glad we stopped. We, we, yeah. Do you know what? We're not even going to go there. <laughs> oh, so much. Um, um, now this is actually the last movie that will use the visor. Yeah. I mean, after this, we, after this we get eyeballs, which honestly, I'm glad we still had the visor in this in this movie because him playing with the visor is is creepy as that is with Malcolm McDowell. It'd be way more creepy if he were playing with one of Jordy's eyeballs. Okay, well I agree. What we do know is that every adjustment to Jordy's visor has to be done with a little tiny screwdriver. <laughs> However, his eyeballs—that's just a software update, <laughs> so it's it's fine. Um, he's got a little jack in the back of his head. You just you pop in a, a USB stick, you're good to go. That's uh, USB isolinear stick. Sorry, it's the future. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then we switch over to Data and Picard and stellar cartography, which basically just looks like mess. a room that we built because we needed a new set. Okay, I'm sorry. This I can't find proof but I still don't believe that this is not Cerebro. <laughs> I mean, the room is a, it's a big spherical room. It's got the whole, uh, the, the, uh, bridge out to the middle of the room. It's totally Cerebro. And if it's not, then I think Patrick Stewart was like, Hey guys, I know you're trying to come up with what Cerebro looks like. I got an idea. I've I did actually find a, a, a picture of this, uh, being filmed. And it really is a bridge that is standing a good 10 or 15 feet off the ground. Yeah. This set um, is like three, it, uh, three stories tall. Yeah. It's massive. And it's, it's missing one side it's, it's got a fourth wall missing. Um, and it actually does have a star field painted on it, which I thought was kind of <laughs> cool. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty impressive set. Um, the, the guys who are doing the filming are standing far below these guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little um, confused by, by this cause we've never seen this on any sort of starship before. I mean, no, it's very different. Voyager, but it's nothing like this. Well, Astrometrics on Voyager was basically, you know, one giant screen wrapping around a normal sized room. Yeah. Um, and uh, DS9, I don't think they really had anything like that. No. no. Um, in fact, I don't think I've seen any ship really that hadn't. Well, oh, no, I take that back. One of the Kelvin ships might actually have had an astrometrics lab like uh, that. Have to look um, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's very odd. Uh, we never saw anything like this on TNG and it, it was just kind of a weird add in for this. Honestly, I think it was, you know, they, they got a contract with some new special effects company and we're like, yeah, we're going to throw that in there. And it looks cool. I mean, the, the scene looks cool. It's just one of those things of, I wasn't, we've never seen this before. We'll never see it again. It was just kind of one of those weird one-offs. Yeah. Data's going to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> I just can't take these emotions. We knew Guess it was going to happen. The B story collides directly with the A story. <laughs> I Honestly, Picard should have slapped him and said, you know what? None of the rest of us can handle it either. So get over it. <laughs> all this, all this just to set up two jokes. Ugh. In the and they're not even good. Yeah. Uh, so they do mention that uh, one of the ships... Uh, that they can see on the in the path of the uh, the ribbon is the Bozeman. Yeah, shout out to Captain Morgan Bateson. Now I gotta be honest, um, I I missed this uh, that that it was Captain Morgan Bateson um, who was Kelsey Grammer in uh, <laughs> the Typhon Expanse in Cause and Effect, one of my favorite episodes. So, <clears throat> so I totally missed this. I didn't realize that it was Kelsey Grammer from, or who is uh, the commander from Cause and Effect, who was in the who they found in the Typhon Expanse. Um, what really made me feel even stupider is he was referenced in uh, Lower Decks, and I just watched this episode, <laughs> and when he came on screen, I did not get it at all. I feel so dumb. Oh, I was I I, I'm a I'm a huge uh, huge uh, Bateson fan. So, uh, in fact, Bozeman will also be mentioned just in passing on the next movie, uh, um, First Contact. I'll be just yep. a, a brief shout out, but yeah, I'm. Uh, so, for those who don't know, um, the the Typhon Expanse was basically a rift in in space time that allowed the Enterprise C. Is it the C? Yeah, the Enterprise C to come through the rift. And the D and the C met each other. And, or, I'm sorry, not the Enterprise. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was say, you're, you just said it like four times. <laughs> well, no, it's the exact same thing happens, just different results. Totally get it. <laughs> right. So it's, it's the Bozeman that comes through. Um, and the Enterprise D meets them. And Picard has to deliver the unfortunate news. Hey, uh you're in the 24th century now and your crew is, is stranded here. And now, your a Soyuz, lot of other stuff happens in the show. Your Soyuz class starship looks cool, but is sadly obsolete. Yeah. So that's why it's kind of interesting that, uh, not only is the Bozeman out there, but that captain Bateson is still around. Woo-woo. Anyway, back to the show. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there so so now after after picard tells data just do your stupid job they pretty much just say we've reached the end of the dramatic aspect of your emotion ship commander from here out it's only going to be comedy right he doesn't get sad one bit for the rest of the movie he's quite well adjusted oh wait <laughs> he does one bit and it's even more annoying than all the rest but we'll get there <laughs> So uh, now we're going to build in our Jeopardy. 230 um, million people will be killed if Soren is allowed to do what he what he's done. What we found out is that Soren is altering the gravity footprint of the local area to steer the Nexus to a planet because he wants to get back in. Which still doesn't make any sense, but okay. 
<laughs> so the reason he's steering it is because any ship that gets near this ribbon explodes. And so he needs to steer the ribbon into a planet so that he can be on the planet and it can just pick him up. Because magically, people don't explode when they're hit by the energy ribbon. Just right. starships. Well, and even dumber is the last time he went into the ribbon, he was on a ship when it exploded <laughs> by hitting the ribbon. So that's kind of exactly what he wants to happen. But whatever. He's going to kill 230 million people for a weird plot device. <laughs> For, for um, what seems, in, in all honesty, just to be a really, 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 really good holodeck. Yeah, that's true. But one um, that makes you immortal. I guess that's, I guess there's the rub. Yeah, exactly. Immortality in the holodeck, that's, that's better than, uh, I guess, regular immortality. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Data spends quite a bit of time at the keyboard trying to look up information on how all this stuff works <laughs> and where things are. And... I was just remembering the first season when whenever Data wanted to look something up in the computer, he would just kind of turn his head to the side a little bit and look it up inside his head because <laughs> he's a computer. And then later seasons, for some reason, he had to type everything. It was like, you know, suddenly Wikipedia came out and he was like, well, I'm now not updated. I need to update. He, he was actually trying to appear more human because people were getting tired of him being Mr. Know-it-all. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ugh. he's trying to, he was like, I swear I'm not cheating at poker. I swear I will never ever look anything up in my head again. If you just let me play. <laughs> so we go back to the, the bird of the prey. Soren comes flying into the room, dinking around with Jordy's visor and he's on the bridge surrounded by Klingons who also have nowhere to sit. <laughs> They're all just milling around on the bridge. And Soren comes in, sits down on a box or something, and starts dinking around with this little visor. Why is there no workstations anywhere on a Klingon vessel? What is the deal? I just don't understand. This was a pretty sparse Klingon vessel, I will say. Oh, it was bad. It's like, we have a chair, we have a periscope, we have a screen. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Nobody else needs to sit or lay down or sleep or anything. <laughs> But this is another, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, God. I was just going to say, he's goofed around. This is just another example of Jordy being a prisoner, though. I mean, we have Samaritan Snare. We have that one in which he gets brainwashed by the Romulans. I can't remember the name of that one. Mm. Incidentally, using his visor. Good point. So this is... This is, again, we're leaning into some tropes here. Data's got feelings. Jordy's a prisoner. We're kind of we're kind of leaning pretty heavy on uh, trodden ground. Let's just say that one. Yeah. I do like, though, when Soren shows the uh, Lursa and Bator the data chip that he has all of the information about his great Star Destroying missile on, it, it looks like it had opened a beer. And that I, think, I, I think you're right. I could appreciate Klingon's function and design. That's see, I looked at it and I thought he's not really giving him a chip. That's the, the, uh, all in one wrench for his bicycle. <laughs> so they're, they're standing there talking about this stuff and talking about him beaming down to the surface and all of a sudden, boom, enterprise arrives, but they're cloaked. So the enterprise doesn't know they're there, right? Wrong. Enterprise is all, Hey dummies, we know you're there. <laughs> we know you're here. We know you're here. You may as well talk to us. We're already talking to you. You should just have to think, think about, you just hear Picard's voice. Marco. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're, we're still on the bridge. Um, and, and we're on a bridge. This is, this is the first time I've noticed this watching this movie. There's two extra duty stations on the ones on the right side. Yep, it just come out. I actually did find a, an article that said that they added that specifically uh, for the movie because they were doing wider angle shots and they didn't want to be able to see past what already existed. Ah, I got you. All right. Yeah, which I mean, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Worf's talking about how he can, or about whether or not he's going to be able to shoot that missile. How was he not going to be able to shoot a missile that's going to have to travel from this planet to its home star? 
Yeah. I mean, you should be able to just like go right alongside of it and shoot it. You know, I'm, I'm this. I had a problem with this. I had a problem with this particular plot device. I don't know if I can hit that missile. Really? You don't. Well, okay. So, so you mentioned this before and I thought a little bit more about it. Yes. The missile is going to a star. So it's got to be, and if it's going to take 11 seconds, that sucker has got to be going fast. And that's going to have to be going faster than it's going to have to be FTL. Right. Which means that if they're trying to shoot phasers at it, the phasers can't hit it because they're light. So it's going to have, so he's only going to have four seconds before it goes warp. And then so he's going to either have to hit it before it goes to warp, or he's got to somehow have warp powered photon torpedoes, which which photon is in their name. So they might be light too. I don't know. You can you can use photon torpedoes in a faster than faster and light environment. Um, well, yeah, but then but they'd have you to be have going to, to warp. Too. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then if you're going to warp and you shoot torpedoes, does the train pass the torpedoes? I don't know. Yeah, this still hmm. this math problem pissed me off when I was in high school. It pisses me off now. I'm not doing it. Okay, if 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 you if you were going to put forward the fact that the missile has its own warp drive, then you know what? Okay. I can see it. I can buy Ugh. it. I don't like it, but I can accept it. No, sir. I don't like it. <laughs> All right. So, so I, I love this. So he's talking to Worf, whatever. And finally, the Klingons are like, all right, fine. We'll talk to you. And they go on screen. And Picard looks over at the screen. It's the freaking Dura sisters who he's got massive amounts of history with. <laughs> and he looks at the screen like, I absolutely knew it was going to be them. Like, no, you didn't. This should surprise the crap out of you. I want to see an honest reaction of Picard being like, whoa, Lursa, holy crap. What are you doing here? <laughs> I'm assuming what he saw what a piece of crap the, uh, oh, actually, no, they're still cloaked. So he, had, he hasn't even seen the right? ship. At this point, he hasn't even identified which ship this is enough to go. Good point. Yeah, that looks like a Dura ship. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. See how the uh, the back bumper is just kind of hanging by some hangers there? <laughs> You know, they had to sell most of their seats and workstations just to get fuel. (laughs) So they decide they need to go down to the planet and Data's like, I'll do it because that makes the most obvious sense because, you know, I'm an android and um, I can survive almost anything. You're a squishy person. And Picard's like, no, me, I'm going. I don't understand this decision. The only thing I can think is maybe he's like, hey. What's up, Lursa? Uh, get out of the planet. Let's go. I mean, because even I mean, Riker doesn't even raise. I mean, as soon as I'll go, it's like Riker doesn't raise much of a thing of like, no, you're not doing that. You know, right? Well, the, he never does. I, that's the one thing that's always bugged me about Riker as a second in command. He should always be like, um, you should put your jacket down. You're not going to this planet. I know it's suede. It's beautiful jacket. We all love your jacket, but you're not going to the planet today. Well, the, the arguments are generally, uh, you're not going to the planet. Yes, I am. Okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you guys all saw that I said no first, right? <laughs> like I checked the box, man. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I want to see him go down there and use metaphors to try to tell a story too, but... <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say no first. It'll be fine. I mean, it's not like we're going to crash the ship into a planet as soon as he leaves. (laughs) I'm gone for five minutes. (laughs) But I, I still, I still don't quite understand. So the negotiation is I'll become your hostage, but I need to talk to Surin first. So I'll beam over to you and then you beam me down and you beam Jordy back to me. What incentive do they have to beam him down to talk to Soren? I've never That's figured really this out. It's Dura sisters, man. They <laughs> they can't make a good decision. <laughs> Which is why they were in the situation they were. The, the Duras yeah. in general just kind of seem like the uh, the real geniuses of the Empire. Um, I uh, I also noticed that their son didn't seem to be anywhere on the ship, which was kind of interesting. I'm kind of curious where he's at. Yes, and there was also supposed to be a, a scene in which Lursa has a child um, that because uh, she was pregnant. 
Oh, were you talking about her child or Duras's son? Uh, I thought it was her child. The one from um, that they tried to put in thing that was uh, that was Duras's son, because the one Klingon makes a uh, comment about where did you find him me in the in the bedchamber of some harlot or something like that. Hmm. All right, I'll have to look that one up. And, and, anyway, and I couldn't help but think of the line from Simpson. It was like, he just happened to like hookers, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've seen Duras. That dude likes hookers. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so they they do a little swap on the transporter pad. Picard's, Picard beams out and in beams an unconscious Jordy. <laughs> Because unconscious people can stand up as long as they are in a transporter beam or a transporter bay. I like to think that the Klingons were like, you know what will happen if we hold him up? He will <laughs> smash his face when he goes through. It will be hilarious. Today is a good day to laugh. <laughs> well, the thing is, we've beamed up people who were laying down before. Right? <laughs> I mean, unlike... Two thirds of the episode, too. <laughs> Episodes. So we get down to Viridian Three surface, uh, and uh, we see a compound kind of thing—a whole bunch of like bridges and platforms—and and I, I it, it looks like monkey bars. It's so weird. Now, is this something that was already there, or did Soren set this up? And if he set this up, why did he need need so much? He has the launch bay. He has the computer. Where where are all the other catalogs going? Seriously, like there's a there's a whole. Well, okay, we're, we're going to find out what the other catalogs are for. Um, there's so there's three things that have a purpose. There is one, the rocket launcher, which if you go under the rocket launcher, that's where the controls for it are. Two, which is always where you want to put the controls for your rocket, is directly beneath them. Oh yeah, absolutely, right under the jet wash. <laughs> There is the bridge from one rock to another. <laughs> Which, and then there is the platform on top of the really big rock <laughs> that's as far into the sky as one man can go. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Thank you. Oh, yes. Thank you. Because he has to he's gonna have to do that Freddie Mercury pose later. Right. Um, and of course we find out uh once Picard gets down there that there is in fact a giant force field around the entire thing. <laughs> Because, you know, when I build research stations and missile bases, I'm going to put a full force field around it. Soren is really paranoid. Seriously. Like, he thought he was going to get here on his own, and he still put that force field up? I don't know. I, so you, we, know you know what? You know what would be a really, really good series and make an excellent animated series? The 78 years of Soren trying to get to the ribbon and all the different... It'd be like a Wile E. Coyote type thing. <laughs> and all the different things he's done over the last 78 years to try to get back into the nexus i like it writes itself uh, that's uh star trek on adult swim <laughs> i like it i mean we've already got it on nickelodeon uh, let's put it on adult swim next um so we go back to the bird of prey and we get to see a moment of comedy with the klingons <laughs> the human females are so repulsive line it's so great. They're so they're watching the the ladies on the bridge on the Enterprise, and they're just watching them silently. And they're just like, "Ew, they're gross." <laughs> it's it's really catty, but I mean, it feels really authentic. Like, can you imagine if we really had alien species like that all looking at each other? We, we totally have those moments where, like, why are they so gross? <laughs> Except for Jim Kirk. Oh yeah, Jim's like hmm. Duras, you say? <laughs> um, okay, so we flash over to the sick bay and on uh, sick bay on the Enterprise, and uh, we've got uh, Doctor Crusher standing over Jordy, and she tells him, "I was able to remove the nanoprobe." Now we've never heard that word on this movie. We don't know what the nanoprobe is. Okay. It turns out, in a previous cut. Uh, Jordy, while in while he was being tortured, they inserted a probe into his heart that allowed them to, at will, stop and start his heart and torture him that way. Um, I've been through an electrical surgery on my heart, and I can tell you that sucks. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> when they alter anything with the way your heart beat, Ooh. it is painful and scary. 
So that's actually a really good torture method. I can't believe they, <laughs> they took that out. That would have been amazing. But, um, but anyway, so but, that's, she tells him I took out the nanoprobe. That's why. And then they take out the scene, but they left in the tagline, the, the end of the joke. Uh, so this is why Soren, when he comes back and he's putting together the visor and they, they ask him, you didn't get anything from him. And Soren goes like his heart just wasn't into it. Um, yep. So you had a joke. You gave us the punchline. You didn't give us the buildup. Uh, Data gave him that joke. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) It all makes sense. Hey, speaking of Data, Jordy and Data are going to be hanging out again. (laughs) They've got to work on uh, the special super duper. No, they're not working on the torpedo. What are they working on now? Uh, Some random piece of technology that doesn't matter. Oh, this is when, Um, uh, yeah, when uh, Jordy first comes back and and Data comes to meet him in uh, sickbay. Oh, that's right. They're still in sickbay. I apologize. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Jordy comes to see him and Jordy tells him what? You've been acting human. That, that That's that's the line he gives. When Data tries to apologize for being such a flipping coward, <laughs> Jordy says, eh, you've been acting like a human. Yeah. Nice way to normalize cowardice. Yeah. Humans are just naturally cowards. It's, you'll learn to live with it. Right. And then he's like, and because you're acting human, I'm out. And he just walks out the door, <laughs> which is a very Jordy LaForge thing to do. <laughs> I mean, if you watch that show, he always does that. Hey, snarky <laughs> comment number four, and out the door he goes. It's Let's fantastic. Love a grenade and walk out the door. <laughs> okay, guys, we did it again. We talked way too long. This episode is way too big. So, Join us next time for part three of Star Trek Generations. Hey, I just want to also take a minute to say thank you to our friends over at Five Year Mission for the use of their song Beam Down as our intro and outro. Please head on over to fiveyearmission.net and check them out. They've got one song for every episode of TOS, all grouped into albums for each season. It's really cool. You should totally check it out. Uh, Until next time, thanks a lot. 2016.